Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 3 to verse 9. So I'll give you some time to find that. It's Mark 14, 3 to 9. All right, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of, an, of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you uh, always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, beforehand for, for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in, her mem- in memory of her. Amen. All right, hallelujah. Whoa. Test, test. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Y'all awake? Good afternoon. All right. And we had an awesome service over at Hillside. That was just, that was just popping. The joy of the Lord was all over the place. It was good. It was really good. And uh, we're going to have a good service here today. Amen. We're just inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit here. Now, um, in December of last year, a prophetic woman named Vicki Porterfield, she gave a prophetic word about developing the core. And when she was visiting, she talked about developing the core, and she said that God is laying the foundation here at New Philadelphia Church. And God's purposely keeping you small for a reason. He's going to grow the ministry, but if it happens too soon, she said, things are going to get watered down. You will lose your values, visions, and distinctives. And you might have success, but you will have no identity. And so she said that you have to establish a core group of leaders. And as they are being solidified, things are going to explode. And she said, many doors will open for ministry. People will come. Invitations will go out. Somehow people will tell each other about the church, and it's going to be packed. It will be easy, it will explode, but we can't handle it yet. She said, develop the core. If you don't, the enemy will attack in a huge way. You have to do it, there's no choice. Do your leadership retreats, have the leaders build strong relationships, have them confess their sins to each other, be vulnerable before one another, and make the leadership core, make it strong. And she said that... uh, once we have the core kind of established, people are going to come to our church and they're going to say, we better get with what the people here have because they're not going to change for us. And she said that that's the way it's got to be. She says that God's called New Philly to be a very fluid group. But we need certain core values that remain unchanged. She called them non-negotiables. And she said whether big or small, wherever you go in the world, these non-negotiables must not change And it is what gives us our identity. She said, year to year, year, your goals may change, but your vision and your mission, these values will not. End of prophecy. All right, this is a good prophecy. She was giving it to to me in math for garlic. We're eating some good uh, garlicly Italian food. (coughs) Hallelujah. Let me get this up higher. let Let me get this down a little bit. It's peaking, man. No, 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 dude. The speaker, the speaker. Talk about the speaker. You, see, you hear that? Get rid of that. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So since then, I have really tried to prioritize my time as a lead pastor here, so that I give my priority of my time to really minister and disciple the leadership of the church here. And uh, I also put together a core group of nine leaders who I can really focus on and disciple them and train them up and get feedback from them. (coughs) We get a little more volume up. Now, a couple months ago in June, these nine core leaders, we met together 
And we try to answer the question, what are the core values of New Philadelphia Church? After some discussion, we came up with nine core values that we feel are important to our church. Values that accurately define who we are and values that reflect our desires and direction. So our, our, our goals and our programs may change from year to year, but we believe that these values will remain unchanged and we will get our identity from really honoring these values. <coughs> so over the next few months, I'm going to preach on these nine core values. I'm going to go over them real quick right now. We have nine. These nine core values are number one, be extravagant in worship. Number two, Freedom is for everyone. Number three, father the fatherless. Four, be faithful in small things. This is kind of awkward. Are you too close to me? Hallelujah. <laughs> number, <coughs> number five, the anointing flows from the top down. Number six, roll with the punches. Number seven, supernatural is natural. Number eight, contend for the kingdom. And lastly, dream big. These are nine core values that our leadership was able to come up with. Today, I'm going to begin with the first core value. <coughs> Be extravagant in worship. Everybody say that. Be You'll notice that when you join us here for Sunday service, our worship times are passionate. People here don't play. Alright, they're not just here to just sing songs. We are here to worship the Lord our God. With passion. If you go over to Hillside, you got a whole bunch more people like this. We have about 130 people gathering for worship at Hillside. And man, it is, it is hot. It's tickle. And that's the way we like it. Hallelujah. It's common to see people clapping, shouting, lifting their hands, dancing, and just plain old singing their hearts out. That's because we love being extravagant in worship. It's not that we gather together a whole bunch of expressive extrovert people and decided to have church. It's just that simply our church values being extravagant in worship. For some people, the worship here is so different from what they have known, it makes them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> they look around, they see people with a smile on their face during worship. And they think, why are, what, what are they so happy about? They look around, they see uh, people singing a spontaneous new song to the Lord. And they're thinking, give me my lyrics. I want lyrics. I need to know what we're singing. <coughs> it's not uncommon for people to feel this way when they visit our church for the first time. Some people, they don't come back because the worship is just so uncomfortable. Other people, they secretly like it. And they continue to stand there. They're not able to worship in the same way. But they keep coming out because they like it. They, they see something. They see something that's God-sized in the way that people worship here in New Philly. <coughs> I don't know if you've <coughs> ever felt uncomfortable or not regarding the worship here at our church. But let me submit this to you. This is the way it's supposed to be. Hallelujah. You can give me them blank stares right now. I don't care. This is the way worship is supposed to be. Worship is supposed to be full of joy. The Bible says, sing to the Lord a new song. So when we break out in spontaneous songs and we just start singing to the Lord, that's what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible also commands us, cry out, clap. Lift your hands, shout, dance, and sing your heart out to the Lord. This is the kind of worship that God is seeking. Extravagant, expressive worship. So let me redefine for you what worship is. Hallelujah. Because I'm bringing it from the scriptures. I'm following what the scriptures say. I don't care what you've experienced in your past, in your denominational church. But I'm saying, don't standardize don't form doctrines around your past experiences form doctrines around the word of god Amen. jesus said god is seeking true worshipers worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth this means that god is not looking for people that would just go through the motions of worship 
God is looking for people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worshippers that know how to commune with God, spirit to spirit. Not those who are constantly thinking, analyzing, and becoming introvert during worship. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something about worship. When you worship, you got to behold the object of your worship. If you get all introvert, the only thing you are beholding is yourself. You don't want to worship yourself. Please don't. Okay? You got to behold the object of your worship. And when you worship, you got to look up to heaven. You got to see God enthroned in heaven. And brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you today is this. Don't let your spirit be in hostage to your mind. <clears throat> when we worship the Lord, we must allow our spirit to be free to adore and magnify Him. We got to follow what our spirit man is saying. This is why the psalmist commands us. To, uh, this is why the psalmist talks about in Psalm 103 verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. What the psalmist is doing here is, he is commanding his soul to praise the Lord. Because let me tell you something right now. Many of you, you guys, you guys come up into church, you come up into a Sunday service, and a lot of times you don't feel like worshiping. Your soul, your heart, your mind, and your will, that's what your soul consists of, alright? That's what you study in psychology. You study your mind, your, your heart, and your will. Okay? Sometimes when you come up into church, your heart, mind, and will, you don't want to worship the Lord. That's when you got to command your soul. Hey, soul, you're not in charge here. Alright? I'm going to follow what my spirit says. And my spirit says, yes, I got to worship the Lord no matter how I'm feeling today. So soul, I don't care what you're feeling today. But you is going to follow what the Holy Spirit is putting on my spirit. We is going to worship the Lord today. Hallelujah. That's what the psalmist means by command. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. That's like talking to your soul. You're talking to your heart, mind, and will. Oh, you're going to worship the Lord today because He is worthy at all times. Hallelujah. I want you to tell your neighbor, you need to learn how to get your soul in check. Come on, everybody, say that. You need to learn how to get your soul in check. You know, when you look at some churches, it seems like their worship value is be emotionless in worship. Be quiet in worship. Be introvert in worship. Okay? I don't think any church writes that down. That's kind of like what their core value is. But brothers and sisters, here at New Philadelphia, we're not going to settle for that. We believe that when God's people gather together for worship, we ought to be extravagant in worship. Amen? Amen. We got to let Him know that He is worthy. And this is our first core value. So how can we corporately and individually cultivate an environment of extravagant worship? I want you to keep in mind six points. Number one, if you want to be extravagant in worship, number one, you got to learn how to lose yourself. You got to learn how to stop caring about what everybody thinks. Because check this out. When you worship the Lord, you're not singing for them. You're not singing for your neighbors. You're singing to the Lord. Hallelujah. <clears throat> we need to stop caring so much about what other people are thinking. We got to just clap our hands, lift them high, shout to the Lord, dance in His presence. Because guess what? Everybody's eyes are not on you. They're usually on the PowerPoint here. All right? They're not on you. All right? <clears throat> so don't be so self-conscious. People are not looking at your every move. But God is. And God loves it when we're extravagant in worship. And look, if your neighbors are looking, man, let them look. Let them look. But do not be deceived. They're the ones that should be feeling out of place, not you. 
Can I get an amen? amen. A lot of times, man, we, we, you know, we start getting extravagant in worship and we feel all out of place. That's, a, that's the enemy's lie. The only people that should feel out of place are the ones that got their mouth closed, that got their arms folded, and they ain't doing nothing. They should be the ones feeling out of place. Hallelujah. Not you. Not you. If you want to see an example of a worshiper who knew how to lose himself, <coughs> you got to look at David. King David, when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, David was dancing, leaping, and shouting. He danced with so much zeal that his clothes started to fall off. One of his wives, Michal, she criticized him and despised him and called him vulgar for disrobing in front of the slave girls. This is how David responded to his wife. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But I will worship the Lord. See, David, he knew how to lose himself. He knew how to be undignified. Hallelujah. I want you to tell your neighbor, you need to get over yourself right now. (laughs) Get over yourself. (laughs) You know, in the passage that our brother Ryan read earlier, in Mark chapter 14, (coughs) when the woman with the alabaster jar came, And broke it and poured it over Jesus' head. Some of the people in the room started to say, why was this ointment wasted like this? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. All these people were calling what she did a waste. But this is what Jesus said right away. He said, leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? What she has done is a beautiful thing. Hallelujah. When this, what you see, what this woman did was an act of worship. She was doing an act of worship and it was an extravagant act of worship. And although people were criticizing her and despising her and calling what she did a waste, Jesus chose to call it beautiful. And you know what? That's what we need to choose to call it as well. When people are being extravagant and they're being, they're losing themselves and they're being expressive and other people, you can, you can kind of feel them talking. Don't pay any t- attention to that. Pay attention to what Jesus says. When you lose yourself in extravagant worship, He calls it beautiful. Number two, be happy. <coughs> be happy. This means don't be so serious when you worship. not a poker game it's okay to be put a smile on your face it's okay to show some expression you know when we come together to worship we gotta learn how to rejoice we gotta look like we enjoy being in its presence gotta be happy uh one of our brothers at uh hillside brother danny he gave a message at friday fire recently he mentioned a ucla study on effective communication And he mentioned how in that study they found that effective communication consists of 7% words, 38% tone, pitch, emphasis, volume, and 55% of effective communication is body language. Body language. All right. If body language is that important in communicating and relating with each other, Why would we not think that it's not important to God? Well, God, you see my heart. I don't have to show nothing on my face. It's like, you see my heart. Well, if it's really in your heart, then show it on your face. What's wrong with that? God likes it when you are being happy and you're showing that happiness on your face. If you're happy and you know it, yeah. (laughs) Clap your hands. Shout to the Lord. Put a smile on your face. Do a little jig. (laughs) Hallelujah. And I know that when we were children, man, there would be, we weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to smile. You know, when we were up in church, there was that, there was that old dude that would always scold us. 
H. We're in the presence of God. And we always associated the presence of God with being quiet and, and sitting upright. And holding your Bible in your hand and all that. Hallelujah. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, don't let that bitter old man from your past continue to oppress your expressions of worship today. I give you permission to laugh in the presence of God. As your lead pastor, I give you permission to smile. Hallelujah. And I understand that back in the day, you know, uh, Kim Walker, she's uh, one of the worship leaders at Bethel. (coughs) Kim Walker, sometimes when she's leading worship, she likes to chuckle. Because she's happy. She's a happy woman. Right? And she'll just... You know, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, ha, oh, ha. Oh, she likes to chuckle. I understand that back in the day, if you chuckled like Kim Walker in the middle of a hymn, people would think you were crazy. Okay? Well, that was then. This is now. See, God's doing a new thing on the earth. And back then, hymns was as expressive as you can get. Because, you know, all them Europeans, you know, all were westernized and stuff. They were very thinkers, you know. That's as expressive as they could get. But it gets better, I'm saying. And as God has been pouring out a spirit on the earth more and more and more, with the spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And the more the spirit of God has been poured out on the earth, the more his people are expressing the freedom to express themselves in worship. So you can chuckle now. Because we live in a different time. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know, and, and, ain't that a shame at some churches? I, I, you know, some churches, man, just got a lot of old people. And they got to they gotta just you know, worship with the way they worship. But man, it is a shame when young people, they try to replicate that. It doesn't fit. We know what you listen to on the week. You listen to the rock music. You listen to hip hop. And you come to Sunday and you're trying to sing hymns. Don't play yourself. All right, we know you like to be expressive. All right, and so, you know, smile, chuckle. The Bible says in His presence there is fullness of joy. That means in His presence you can be happy. You can laugh out loud. You can chuckle. God is a joyful God. And if God is joyful and we are His people, we should look like a people that belong to a joyful God. Amen? Amen. Man. Hallelujah. That's good. Let God tickle you in worship. You know, sometimes you just got to smile. You just got to laugh. Because God's presence is that good. And God just tickles you sometimes. And you just got you just, you just to let it, let it show. All right, number three. <coughs> Memorize the word. If you want to be extravagant in worship, you got to get the word of God inside of you. Sometimes during worship here in New Philly, um, Brian here, or over at Hillside, Pastor John Newfeld, sometimes they're kind of step back from the mic, and while they're leading their song, they're just kind of lead a time of spontaneous worship. And it's during this time that people are tempted to sit down, to go to the bathroom, or to check their cell phone. Why? It's because there's no lyrics on the PowerPoint and you feel very, very awkward because you're, you're not used to that kind of worship. But let me, let me encourage you. Next time spontaneous worship breaks out like that, don't check your cell phone. All right? Get some Bible passages memorized from the Psalms, from Revelation chapter 4 or 5. Get some passages inside you. Have them memorized. And when we have those spontaneous times of worship, just say those words back to God. Say the scriptures, sing the scriptures back out loud to God. I assure you, you will feel so good. You will feel so good. There's something powerful, something prophetic about singing and saying the words of God back to God. (coughs) You know, sometimes we learn a new song from Chris Tomlin or from Hillsong. Or from Jesus' culture. And we're like, wow. This song is amazing. Where do they get this stuff? 
Well, let me tell you where they get 90% of the stuff. All right? All those song lyrics are taken straight out of the Bible most of the times, verbatim. I did this at Hillside. I'll do it again right now. You give and take away. You give and take away. The song's so good, man. My heart will choose to say, Lord bless it, man. Who wrote these lyrics? They're so good. God did. It's in Job chapter 1, verse 21. A lot of the song lyrics that we sing, they're taken straight out of the Bible. They're plagiarizing the Bible. <laughs> Look, it's, it's okay. God likes it. When you come into His presence, God just wants you to just sing His words back to Him. Because you know what? He's a big fan of His own work. Alright? You don't have to write your own little poetry. You don't have, you know, you can, you can do that as well. But God loves it when you sing His words back to Him. Memorize scripture. You will never access that level of worship experience unless you memorize it. You got to do this before you show up to Sunday. Number four, pursue holiness. <coughs> Jesus said the Father is seeking true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, worshiping the Lord in truth involves living a life where you pursue holiness. You see, if you're worshiping your heart out on Sundays but you live a godless life during the rest of the week, you are not worshiping in truth. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. <coughs> Practically, if you're not pursuing a life of holiness, you will have a hard time being extravagant in worship. You know why? Because during the 30, 40 minutes of worship, during that worship songs, you are preoccupied dealing with your shame, your guilt, and condemnation. Because of the life you keep living during the rest of the week. If you're refusing to give up your selfish and sinful ways, and you continue to identify with your old nature... You will feel like a hypocrite when you try to worship extravagantly. <clears throat> that's not who you are. I don't care if you feel it, but that's not who you are ever. Alright, God's people are not hypocrites. Okay, you can, be, you can be hypocritical, but you're not a hypocrite. That's not your identity. You know who was a hypocrite? Judas was a hypocrite. That boy was a hypocrite down to the heart. But you know what? Peter did similar actions where he said one thing and did another. But you know what? Peter wasn't a hypocrite. He did some hypocritical things. But when it came down to it, his heart was for the Lord. And he repented and made right with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, <coughs> if you're living a double life, you're going to feel like a hypocrite. But that's not your nature. That's not your identity. So stop identifying with that. And I'll tell you right now, worshiping extravagantly, this, this only really works for people who are, are pursuing holiness. It doesn't work any other way. If you're giving to God just some of your life, but you're just managing it yourself for the rest of it, and you try to worship extravagantly, it really doesn't work. It only works for people that are pursuing holiness. And if you pursue holiness, brothers and sisters, do me a favor. Aim for 100%. If I gave you a bottle of water and I told you it's 99% spring water and 1% sewage water, who in your right mind would drink it? Well, it's 99% spring water. Well, what about that 1% doo-doo water that's in there? All right? I don't care if it's 1%, 0.1%. Ain't nobody in their right mind going to drink that. Well, it's the same thing when we bring to God a good enough holiness. When you're like, well, God, you know all my failures. You know how, how, how long I've been struggling with this sin. And, you, and, and you, you start believing the deception. Hey, hey, you're never going to be free from this. This is as good as it gets. Hey, 
once every two weeks, hey, that's pretty good. Remember, it used to be like seven times a day. Now it's just once every two weeks. Hey, it's as good as it gets. You're never going to get set free, so you just need to settle for this. All right? That is a lie of the enemy. I don't care how long you have been struggling with that. You will overcome that addiction. You will be set free from that secret sin. And in the meantime, do me a favor. Aim for 100%. Aim for 100% holiness. You know, sometimes we struggle with something so long. We start, the attitude of our hearts becomes one of compromise. Where we're like, all right, this thing's not going away. Might as well just kind of take care of it. All right, your secret sins is not a puppy. It's not some pet that you take care of, some hamster that you could put in the cage. All right. <coughs> Don't keep these secret pets around. All you're going to do is end up stepping on their doo-doo. And then eventually they're going to harm you and your family. You know, a lot of married men, a lot of men in the ministry, you know how they, the, all the scandals break out and their ministry comes to an end? You know how they get there? They get there by aiming for 98% holiness. They get there by keeping their little secret sin pets around. Refusing to get rid of them. Brothers and sisters, don't live like that. Pursue 100% holiness in your heart. And you know what? Pursuing holiness is not about performance. God is not keeping a record of your wrongs. He doesn't bring a Google site page and says, these are the statistics of your sin this past month. Alright? There's no record like that. Because the blood of Jesus is taking care of that. Alright? Pursuing holiness is a matter of your heart. What are you aiming for? Well, I keep on failing. All right, you've been failing, but look, what are you aiming for? It's a matter of our hearts. What resources are we tapping into to be victorious? <clears throat> are we getting help from accountability partners, from our small group leaders? When we fall, are we confessing our sins and getting right back up? Okay, Pursuing holiness is a matter of the heart. When we keep our heart in the right place... Our behavior and our thought patterns will be renewed. You are growing in increasing holiness. All of you have positional holiness by the cross of Jesus Christ. But God doesn't say, all right, positional holiness is good enough. That gets you to heaven, so let's settle for that. No, God says, no. I will not only justify you, which is positional holiness. I want to sanctify you. I want you to get the experiential holiness while you have on this. I want you to experience it. That's called sanctification. And the process of sanctification only works when you're aiming for 100% holiness. There's only one kind of holiness, really. There's no such thing, really, as a 98% holiness. Because holiness is a reflection of God's nature. And God's nature does not have a 98% version. God is holy. And the Bible says, be holy. For the Lord your God is holy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number five, give generously. An aspect of extravagant worship that must not be overlooked is in the area of financial giving. And I got to admit, our church, New Philadelphia, we are really extravagant in our financial giving. And I'm so proud of, of, of our church at both campuses for living a life of extravagant worship through financial giving. Man, we, man we, we do like love offerings and people give. We do like last minute like new stuff and people, there's a financial need. We make the announcement and people give. Man, I, mean, I, I love being a part of New Philly because of this aspect of people's hearts where they are putting God at number one. Every time they give that offering, they know that money is coming right off that idle position. And God is the one who is lifted up to number one. <clears throat> the woman with the alabaster jar, coming back to her. The ointment that she broke over Jesus' head, the Bible says it cost 300 denarii. What the heck is a denarii? Well, let me explain to you. One denarius is worth an entire day's wage. So, if you add it all up and you remove the weekends, 300 denarii equals one year's 
worth of income. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you gave a love offering in the amount of your annual income? If there is somebody in here that has already done that, please raise your hand. Because <coughs> I will mention you in every one of my sermons. <laughs> Just like Jesus said, this woman will be mentioned wherever the gospel is. I'll mention you. <laughs> right, many of us have not even experienced that level of giving. <coughs> but that's what it cost this woman to worship Jesus extravagantly. If you really understand the math, you can see why Jesus honored her so much. And that's why he called what she did beautiful. You know, sometimes you worship so extravagantly, it offends people. You know, it, 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 it like confuses people. It like makes people think you're, you're crazy cuckoo. All right, but look, in the eyes of Jesus, every act of extravagant worship will always be honored and will be called beautiful in his presence. <coughs> King David understood this. He said, I will not offer to God an offering that costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. All right. Hallelujah. Financial giving is a very important aspect of being extravagant in worship. And lastly, number six, get baptized with the Spirit of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. But there's somebody else that's coming after me. He will baptize you with pokari sweat. No, right? Now John the Baptist said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hallelujah. Did you know that during Jesus' time on earth, there is no record of him ever baptizing a single person in water? That's because Jesus doesn't use water to baptize people. Jesus baptizes people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That is his baptism medium of choice. Now, if you've not experienced the baptism of the Spirit, I'd encourage you to hunger and thirst for it. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in, him, in me, <coughs> as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39, the following verse, it says, Now this he said about the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is like, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm going to give you a drink. But it ain't going to be water. It's going to be living water. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants you to drink the Holy Spirit in. But not only drink. He wants you to, he wants you to be baptized. Bathed in the Holy Spirit. So that you are just drenched with God himself. Both inside and out. That's what it means to truly be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you get baptized, when you experience God in this way, you will enter into new levels of worship. No one even has to teach you how to do it. You will just naturally enter into that place because there's someone living inside you who's going to take you there. <coughs> a person who is baptized with the Spirit and with fire, such a person refuses to let their environment set the atmosphere for worship. You know, so many Christians, they let their environment determine how they're going to worship. You go to a, a Methodist church that, that uh, is not very excited and nobody is being expressive. Well, then you say, okay, well, I guess that's the way I'll worship. You go to, you know, chapel at some seminary here in Seoul. No, actually, y'all, y'all, y'all light it up. Y'all, y'all, y'all worship with your hearts out. Let's say some other seminary in America, near Philadelphia. Two of them. Anyway, I, I, you don't, you have to know. Hey, let's say you go to the seminary chapel, and nobody's worshiping. Most of us, we tend to 
follow and go with the flow of whatever the atmosphere is like. But I'll tell you right now, that is not how a person who is baptized with the Holy Spirit ought to behave. You see, a person who is baptized with the Spirit of God, that person has within him everything he needs, the boldness, the faith, the spiritual shifting, the opening of heaven, has everything he needs to shift the atmosphere of heaven. I mean, shift the atmosphere of worship in wherever that you're worshiping. So if you go into a dead place, you don't have to go with the flow. You can set the flow is what I'm saying. But you need to be baptized with the Spirit. You can't just try it out. I mean, you got to be you got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You've been led by the Spirit of God. But when you got the Spirit of God on you like that, you can shift the atmosphere. I want you to tell your neighbor, dare to shift the atmosphere. But this is even here. Let's say on one week. Let's say on one week, some of the worship members, uh, they had a really bad week. And they're not really excited. Or they're struggling. There's something heavy on their hearts. And a couple more people in, in the audience, they got attacked during the week. And they got heavy hearts. And you come in, but you're, you're like full of joy. Everything's going great for you. But you're like, you look around, everybody doesn't look so happy. I guess that means today I cannot worship with joy. Okay, don't do that to yourself. <coughs> Dare to shift the atmosphere. If you come into worship service and it's like that, you get up in that piece and say, oh, you know what? Everybody's feeling heavy, but I'm going to set them free. I'm going to shift this atmosphere. I'm going to set the tone. And people are going to encounter God in such a powerful way. All that stuff's going to be lifted off of them. And everybody's going to be up in this joy that I am carrying with me right now. Dare to shift the atmosphere. And you know what? If you serve on one of our missions teams, you need to get with that lesson real quick. Because I have very little patience. People that go with me on missions... We show up. You know why? Because every place, almost every place we go to on the missions field is going to be like that. Nobody's worshiping. Nobody cares. Everybody's tired of religion. They've been beat down with religion so long. They don't, want, they don't, they don't even recognize God. They don't want God. And I go in there with the team. And I tell the team, hey, you worship the Lord. You set the atmosphere. Alright? And we go in there and, and all the team members are like, Oh, no one's singing. I don't want to sing. Or they're in the back and they're like, you know, playing with their iPhone. Or they're like, you know, like just reading the Bible and trying to you know, have their quiet time when we should be ministering. I have very little patience for that. I will gather the team together and I will rebuke them. I will say, I don't know why you spent all that money and travel these thousands of miles for you to look at your iPhone and do your QT during this ministry time. Alright, you got, you've been baptized with the Spirit. If you haven't, raise your hand right now. We will pray for you right now. Alright, all y'all have been baptized with the Spirit. I know it, I've seen it. You are carrying the atmosphere of heaven. So release it here into this church on this mountain. They need it, they need to see that God is real. They need to see that God is real. (coughs) Hallelujah. I had, a, I had a thought and then I started coughing and then the thought lost me. That's why I repeated myself. Anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> so how can we corporately and individually cultivate an environment of extravagant worship? Well, remember these six points. And if you haven't experienced the sixth point, that being baptized with the Spirit, get hungry and thirsty for it. You will not be denied. Hallelujah. You need to be hungry and thirsty for the baptism of spirit. If you've never experienced it, you need to be hungry and thirsty for the baptism of spirit. Like an athlete is thirsty for Gatorade at the end of a long day of football training camp with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's how you need to thirst for the Holy Spirit. All the butter say it, amen. amen. And all the rest of y'all don't play any sports. <laughs> no, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. I love the brothers. I love the brothers. Hallelujah. I love the brothers. Hallelujah. Women play sports too. Women know how to thirst for that Gatorade, right? You know how to, how to, you've experienced that, right? You know, when you play your, you know, field hockey, uh, 
And, uh, hey, man, I, I respect field hockey players, all right? All right, that's dangerous, man. That wooden thing, man, is more dangerous than, than regular hockey, I think. I don't think the sticks are thicker. You don't got no pads on your shins. You gotta wear a skirt. And then people hacking away at your, at your shins, man. That's a dangerous sport. Anyway, hallelujah. Let me close my message. Brothers and sisters, no matter how many church plants we do, may our church always be filled with an atmosphere of extravagant worship. I'll tell you right now by the Spirit of God, when we do our church plant in Pyongyang, and North Koreans come in to check out the English service, they're going to look upon the people that are worshiping in that place. And they're going to see the extravagant worship of the New Philly congregation. And they're going to say, God is real. God is in this place. And I want to return to encounter and meet that God. This is our first core value, brothers and sisters. May we never water it down. May we always carry it in our hearts. All the days of our life. Let us pray right now. Hallelujah. You know, right now, I just want to invite anybody that has never experienced the baptism of the Spirit. I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. (coughs) If you never experienced it, but you're hungry for it, I want you to stand to your feet. All right? Because when you get the experience of God through the baptism of the Spirit, everything changes. Everything changes. This is just God's way. Instead of teaching you and teaching you and teaching you, God gets His Spirit in you. He fills you. And He knows that that is the most effective way to transform you. So if you've never been baptized with the Spirit, and you're hungry and thirsty for it, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet. (coughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'll tell you my real short testimony. Back in 2004, after being mentored by a Spirit-filled pastor, I had yet to experience the baptism of the Spirit. And I'll tell you right now, I had a boldness for God. I had a passion for God. I had a love for God. I was walking faithfully, but I had yet to experience the baptism of the Spirit. And in 2004, God started to stir up my heart. Uh, one of my uh, best friend's sisters, she gave me a book by Jack Deere called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. My mentor recommended books about the baptism of the Spirit. And then he started to prophesy over me, Brother Christian, you are seeking the baptism of the Spirit. God, is He hears your prayer. You're going to find yourself in a church where the gifts are in operation. You're going to get baptized with the Spirit and you're going to speak in tongues and God is going to release you into supernatural life. (coughs) Shortly thereafter, that prophecy was made back in 2004. I went to a worship service at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City on a Tuesday night prayer meeting. When the pastor came up, he said, I've got a message for y'all tonight, but I'm not going to preach that message. Because the Spirit of God has put it on my heart. You're not going to preach that message. I want you to preach on the baptism of the Spirit. So men and women of God, today I'm going to preach about the baptism of the Spirit. And that day it was my first time hearing a message about the baptism of the Spirit. I've been in church all my life and I've never heard a single sermon on the baptism of the Spirit until that day. And so when Pastor Volkstaff made the altar call, I ran up to the front along with about 200 other people. And we just prayed to receive the baptism of the Spirit. But you know what? I'm, I'm really thick-skinned. I'm a little, I'm a little bit more of a, a stubborn guy. I'm a knucklehead. <laughs> so that day I experienced something. But I was so much hungry for more. And so I kept pressing in. And I kept pressing in. And you know what? Every time I pressed in, God kept meeting me. He gave me more. He gave me more. He released me into the gift of tongues. He released me 
into supernatural ministry. One year later, in 2006, I went to the Philippines. And while I was there, I started praying for people. And I started praying for people. People started to fall down on the, under the power of God. It was the first time I started to see supernatural manifestations happening when I pray for people. Never seen it before. But it only occurred after I got baptized with the Spirit. You see, this is the same thing that we see in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told His disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. For in a few days, you will be baptized with the Spirit. If that's you and you're standing up, I want you to lift your hands right now. <laughs> you lift your hands. And you know what? <coughs> for those that are lifting their hands, I'm not going to actually lay hands on you today. Instead, I'm going to do something for you even better. I'm going to do something for you even better. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing for you. That God will propel you into a season where you begin to really hunger and thirst for the baptism of the Spirit like you have never hungered and thirst before. I just want you to receive this prayer of blessing. You might not get it today. You might get it today. I don't know. You may, But you may not get it today. But that don't mean it's over. I'm saying right now, you're going to enter into a season of that. And in these upcoming months... Get prayer every chance you get because God's going to meet you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. God, I pray right now for every person standing with their hands lifted up. Or any person even who sit it with their hands lifted up. I pray right now. I decree and declare a hunger and a thirst from deep within their spirit will begin to rise up out of them. A hunger and thirst for extravagant worship. A hunger and thirst for your kingdom to come. A hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray right now, decree and declare that hunger and thirst be established in them. And I pray that God, you will fill them and they would experience the baptism of the Spirit. More and more and more will come to them in these coming months. I thank you that the fire of God is going to be released on their life. And they will never be the same again. They will experience freedom and worship that they never knew possible. They're going to see the sick getting healed. And yes, even the dead being raised. They will see miracles that will blow their mind. Because the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will be residing inside of them. I thank you, God. Just receive these prayers right now. I thank you, God. I thank you that you're going to remember by name each person standing with their hands lifted up right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, hallelujah, you can take your seats.